You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are excited to be with you here today and share some thoughts again that we have around a topic that has come up quite a bit. And of course, we have our own personal experiences and thoughts to share regarding in-law trauma. When I got married, I had this idea that my in-laws would be just like my family, that they would love me. I would love them. I lived close to my in-laws actually right after I got married fairly early. I was 19 when we moved out there. So that's a very early age to have another family in your life and kind of grow up with them. Like I kind of grew up with my in-law family around. And so over time, his family became my family. And hopefully a lot of you've had this situation. I know that everyone's in different situations, but man, they really were like my real sisters. I, his sisters, so he, they had eight kids in their family. I was similar age to most of them. And, and I remember his sister saying, I feel like you're just like my sister. We're real sisters. And, and I remember his dad even jokingly saying sometimes if uh, you guys ever got divorced, we're keeping you and kicking him out. There was that real, I felt genuine love there with my in-law family. And so when divorce happens, do you divorce the rest of the family just as well? And I think that's the question a lot of, of us have when this occurs in divorce situations. But if you're not getting divorced and you've had betrayal happen and you, there's a lot of negative emotion that comes around the in-law family in that situation as well. And so how do you separate? Do you take space from them too? What does this even look like? So lots of topics and questions and circumstances that surround this in-law trauma that we're going to try and tackle today that as best we can. And again, we know that there are so many situations out there, probably impossible for us to hit all of them. Hopefully today, something helps you in your healing journey where you're at. But again, we want to encourage those of you to get curious about the things that you hear that are triggering And remember, these are great things to take to your therapist or coach to work through. So having said that, first, we want to validate those of you who did have a good relationship with your in-laws and now divorce or not, if they're pushing back in any way, this can feel like betrayal all over again, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You just had betrayal from your spouse. And now these people who you wanted to be on your side, thought were on your side, thought were advocates are, are, it feels like betrayal all over against that secondary betrayal. That's how that's hard. Yeah, for sure. Even if they were never on your side, there's things that they can do right now that is causing additional pain and trauma if they are actively tearing you down or if they are enabling his further behaviors or if they are talking to you about other people, um, I could go on and on. 
all of these things when you're already going through the betrayal and through your trauma can just feel like salt in your wound. And there are so many, so many ways that people can hurt us when they don't even know they're hurting us. So you could have in-laws who are actively trying to make things worse or actively upset with you and attacking, or you could have in-laws who through just not really understanding betrayal trauma and sexual addiction or infidelity, that through their attempts to be helpful, then they cause more damage and pain. So I just want to validate that whatever your experience is, it just can be really hard. And really navigating all of these layers where you're already going through your trauma. And if you have kids, you're trying to take care of your kids. If you have a job, you're trying to continue with your job. You're really just trying to continue with your life. And all of these extra people or all of these extra layers can really add to the challenge of healing and progressing and moving forward. So wherever your family is, wherever you are, whether you're still married or you're divorced, we're going to talk a little bit about some of this in-law trauma. And really, you can take some of this with your own parents and other extended family as well. But mm -hmm. our family will be on in-laws just because they have a unique role in your spouse's life and in your life. And I think that that's something really to dissect. So for a minute, I want to just talk about some of the roles that we put them in or that we think that they should be in that I think plays into our trauma. Or maybe even a better way to put this is some of our expectations of them, right? Because expectations are how we think they should act, how we think that they should be. And when they don't show up in that way, then yeah, there's some layers of pain with that. So maybe before we even go too deep into some of our own experiences, Amy, we just have you just pause for a minute and think about, okay, what were my expectations of how my in-laws should show up, show up through my trauma, show up in my marriage, just be there as part of my life. And, you know, again, maybe taking that to same thing with your parents or other people in your life. What are some of the expectations you have had of how they should be acting right now or showing up right now or not? One of them, and I'll just start with one for me. I'll talk about my personal experience and then I'll let you jump in, Amy. So I think one of my expectations or one of the roles that I wanted them to be in is I wanted my in-laws to be really an ally for me. I wanted them to, to see what was happening and to be like, no, this is not okay. Luke, you should have never done that. And you need to do this differently and di this differently. And Alana, we're here for you. And what do you need? And let me help you. And let me take the kids. And, and actually, it's funny because as I'm saying this, I really think that they tried to do that for as much as they were capable of. And I don't think I let them. I don't think I let them in. And I think because my pain was so great, I don't know that I was ready and willing to accept what they had to offer at the time because they didn't fully understand what my betrayal trauma looked like and how it was affecting me. 
But needless to say, I still put them in this role of wanting them to be this ally for me and wanting them to be able to hold all of my pain. And the truth was my pain was so great with the exception of my therapist and other people who had been through this, not many people could hold my pain or even be around my pain for a long time. It also played big time into when I was going through my trauma, everything goes through the lens of, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And so I instantly took anybody who didn't understand my betrayal trauma and I put them in the lens of, or I put them in the category of they aren't safe. And so I think understanding that now and looking back and realizing that was the lens I was looking through. And it's okay if you're listening to this and you're still in this place of going, am I safe? Absolutely. Your brain is trying to know who and what in your world is safe. 100%. I love that that just came out. It really is what it comes down to, right? Because I mean, trauma in general, when our brain is in that trauma mode, there's so much lack of safety and we've got to create that safety. And when we're looking for loved ones to help create that safety and they're not there, that's so difficult. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that I can relate to that too. I wanted them to be an ally. I wanted them to understand, but I think for me, a really strong thing that I wanted from them was to fix him. <laughs> I was doing this with church leaders as well, honestly, but with his family, I wanted them to fix him. And I was looking for things that they did or didn't do that they should have done when he was younger, <laughs> but really just please help me, help me fix him. Help me put him back together. Help me heal him so that I can feel better so that all of this pain that I'm feeling can now go away because I just need this to go away. And I really was looking to them for a lot of that help because I felt out of control. I had at this point tried for decades, you know, and nothing was working and I wanted them to fix them. Yeah. (laughs) And the truth is probably a lot of parents wish they could fix them. Right. Sometimes we put this weight on other people, bishops, church leaders, parents to step in and take over and fix them and make the problem better. And and we're putting all this energy on these outside sources when really change happens with the individual. I think for so many women going through betrayal trauma, is they're grasping for any straws and any help and anything to make the situation feel less chaotic. Oh my gosh. Yes. And what you said there, that truth that they are the only ones that can fix themselves. A lot of us learned this along the way that, yeah, I I can't do anything to fix him. And a lot of women are, are in this place where they're realizing I can't love him enough. I can't beg him enough. I can't change myself enough. I can't be enough to get him to change. And the same concept applies with in-laws and outside sources. You're right. Nothing, nothing will. And so wherever you're at in your journey, I unfortunately didn't have a lot of this knowledge and tools at that time. So I was absolutely grasping for any straw to help solve my problem. So again, if you're grasping for straws right now, it's okay. That's 
a normal part of recovery. It's a normal part of going through trauma, of just looking for anything to give you some kind of sense of grounding and control, especially in those beginning stages and especially some of those initial reactions. This is our initial reaction that we had, right? When the the betrayal, the disclosure, all of this is happening. Our initial reaction for you was, okay, I need an ally, me, okay, fix them. (laughs) And then we're not seeing that happen. And then that feels like this betrayal all over again. But we want to validate, right? Yes, yes, validate that this is so normal to look to them and to have these expectations for sure. And, you know, a lot of thing I see come up with a lot of women too is just wanting to understand the why. One of the big things with betrayal trauma is how could he have done this? Like, I don't get it. And so our brain also has this very deep sense and need to understand what happened and why it happened and how it will never happen again. And so there's also that piece of it. And so I instantly went to this place too of like, okay, how was he raised? What did he have in his childhood? My brain going, I have kids. What happened to to him when he was little? So I can do the exact opposite with my kids, right or wrong. I was looking to his parents and really like dissecting everything that they did or didn't do in an attempt to understand my husband and in an attempt again to make sense of some of my pain. Oh, a hundred percent. Our brain's just trying to solve for and connect the pieces and we will grasp at anything to try and connect those pieces. And so a hundred percent, I'm air quoting normal because nothing about this is normal, but this is a normal tendency to, to do in our brain, right? Doing its job here. And I remember thinking like, this should have never gotten this far out of control. They should have never let, you know, the things that were happening in his childhood escalate to this point. They should have never, I'm not shaming at all. I know why my brain was doing this. And if your brain's going this direction, no shame or judgment at all. The reality is that's not helping. The reality was that didn't help me. It didn't help him because you can't go back. They did what they did. And you can believe whatever you want about that, whether they did a crappy job or they did the best they could with what they knew at the time. But going back to, they should have trained him this way. They should have raised him this way. They shouldn't have ever allowed this to happen. Why didn't they speak up? Why didn't they get him help earlier? Yeah, why? But there's nothing we can do about that. And one of the things that I find the most difficult in trauma is staying in reality. We either live in the past or we live in the future in all of these areas. And this is another area that we tend to live in the past or the future with, and it's not going to do any good because what happened isn't what is happening now. We got to stay in, in the present with all of it. So that's hard to do. Not saying it's easy, but I want to encourage you to acknowledge that this is where your brain is going. It makes sense why my brain's doing this, but nothing I can do about the past. What is happening now? What can be done now? 
Well, and in part of healing from betrayal trauma, it's broken down into three phases. And in each phase, you're doing different type of work. And in phase one, it's about getting out of the fight, flight, or freeze. You're getting stabilization. You're assessing for abuse and other like major concerns that we need to get boundaries and protect yourself from. Stage two is really about mourning and processing through everything that you need to mourn and process. And then stage three is really about moving forward. And that's where you also do some work around maybe some generational family patterns or other parts of your upbringing or your past. And so I think also checking of, okay, where am I at in the healing process? Because yeah, there may come a time that sorting through all of this will be 100% beneficial. So if that's where you are in your journey and you need to sort through that, awesome. But if you're still in those kind of beginning stages and it's where your brain is just trying to have more sense to this and you're trying to find that place to put some of the anger and the hurt then absolutely staying in the present moment as much as you can really does help you anchor into yourself, into your body, into your reality, which will help you keep progressing and moving forward. So I love that you, you brought that up, Amy, because I think that's really important. I, I want to just throw out there, like absolutely looking at this extended family and looking at the extra layers of this type of work is important, but it will look different at different stages in your recovery. So you really have to assess for where I'm at. How helpful is this? I remember one time I was having a lot of trouble with my in-laws. They weren't doing anything right or wrong. It was just, I had so much trauma and so much pain. I couldn't handle much beyond my immediate relationship with my husband and my kids. And so I remember driving in the car one time with Luke And he said to me, he said, I just wish that you and my parents would figure this all out. And Mm -hmm. that was like a smack across my face. And I, in a very triggered way, snapped back at him and just said, I can barely function. Your parents are the least of my concerns right now. I am trying to put one foot in front of the other. I'm trying to still be a mom. That Mm -hmm. is not my concern right now. And so he went and he had processed that with his therapist the next time that they had met. And the therapist luckily was a CSAT, luckily understood betrayal, trauma, and addiction. And he just said, yeah, dude, like your parents is your relationship with your parents. Her relationship with your parents is her relationship. And right now she is not in a place to even think about that relationship. And so can you support her with where she's at? The reason that you're wanting them to fix things is because it's making it hard for you. But the reality is, is you're putting yourself in the middle. Can you step out? And so that was really helpful for both of us to be able to unravel or untangle some of the enmeshment that we had had before and the pressure that, that was being put on me to figure it out. And, and the truth is, is when that conversation happened, we were probably, I don't know, six months, a year into our recovery And it took me years, a good five years at least to um, get to a place where my walls started coming down with extended family. And I only share that. I hate sharing timelines because I don't want you listening to go, okay, well, I'm this amount of time in. So I just have to make it to this. Like, 
No, because every situation, every family is so unique. Every relationship is so unique. But I share that so you can hear that even when I'm working really hard and this whole time they are too, like working hard to understand me, working hard to create that safety. It still just took a lot of years of healing because of the damage that my husband had done. And so I want to make that clear. Like these were Luke's actions that had caused me pain. And that pain had ripple effects into all areas and relationships in my life. Absolutely. And something that came to mind when you were talking is we've been dealing with this situation, a lot of us for years, some decades, (laughs) some women are going try a century, (laughs) right? There's so we've been doing this for a long time. We've been noticing patterns and behaviors, and we've been taking abuse and gaslighting and trying to change them. We've been at this for a long time. A lot of us haven't led on to our own families or the in-law families that something is even going on for a long time. We've been either hiding it on purpose or in denial or whatever, but they are, and I guess I will just speak from my experience. I hid almost everything until the point where I couldn't, when he lost the company of embezzlement and stuff like that, when things really externally were obvious but there was still a lot that I was keeping silent when I decided that divorce was imminent and a lot more came out, they were in shock. They still had to process all of it where I've had a lot of time to process and get to the point where I'm now pissed (laughs) and ready for something to change or something more drastic, but they're still in this place of, wait, what, wait, how did this happen? I mean, I know I can speak for his parents now in that they were just trying to make sense of all of it. They were blaming themselves. They went inward to, oh my gosh, how did this happen? What did we do? And they were trying to essentially fix it. They just didn't know how they were still in that shock and denial part of the grief. Right. And I didn't realize that I didn't know that, but looking back I can see that I was expecting them to be where I was at with my knowledge and my awareness in my journey. And they weren't in the same place. I love that you shared that because yes, it is. It's traumatizing for them too, to realize that their son has made these choices now. And I'm not saying all parents have this reaction, but and many do not share that with you. They go internally. I love that you said that. There's a book by Karen Broadhead, one of the Choose Coaches, and she talks about mama trauma. And she talks about the trauma that parents go through when they do learn that their child has lived this secretive life and they're making choices outside the value system that they were raised in. And so, yeah, when someone's going through their own trauma, then they can't be there in the way for you that you hope they are because they're just trying, they're in shock. They're trying to make sense of it too. Love that you added that. Yeah, it's, it's hard and it's hard, you know, and and look, I, I acknowledge that some of you are like, I don't freaking care that they're in drama. They should be in drama. Right. I totally get that. But at some point it is helpful to sit back and, and recognize the process because we all have human brains. We, we all don't want to be wrong. We all don't want to get wrong. And honestly, moms across the board, 
really, we just want to raise healthy, stable, good children. And when we find out that our child is however old is making choices, that's hurting someone else. That's painful. And I can hold some space for that now, but I will admit for years, like you were saying, I didn't care. (laughs) And so wherever you're at, it's okay. But I, I think that's something to know. Again, I love how Alana and I can cover things in all different, you know, levels of healing, because I do love this idea of knowing what's possible and knowing what you can hope for. Even if that's not where you're at right now, I love the idea of knowing, well, maybe I can get to this place. With that being said, I think this is a really good way to transition into maybe ways that in-laws cope or ways that in-laws show up that may or may not be helpful. So some people have really healthy ways of handling trauma and are able to work through it and process it and talk about it. The majority of people go to coping mechanisms and they go to ways that they can handle the situation. And some of those can compound our trauma. And so as Amy and I were discussing just around this in-law dynamics and trauma that comes from it, we talked about ways that they may not be supportive to you, whether it be through their own trauma or their own way of coping with it, or because of their own patterns of dealing with conflict, there's a few things and ways that they may show up that I think it's really important to have boundaries with. And so I want to just first like clearly say, it is absolutely okay for you to have boundaries with family members, whether it needs to be your parents or your in-laws or other people in your life, this is one area that I think it's really good to take some time and assess if boundaries are needed and where and how to have them. Absolutely. So first of all, I just want to mention too, one of the things that I think keep us from setting boundaries, at least it did for me, is I was pretty pissed that they, I felt like they chose his side over mine. Now, again, I, my journey is divorce. And so I'm going to be speaking more towards that route. I realized I needed to have some boundaries was because I was in this place where I felt like they were supportive for a little while, meaning they were trying, they were doing their best. I could tell they were trying to do their best to to make it all work. And they were still, I felt like they were still listening to me. And then at some point for me, when it turns to divorce, when divorce got put on the table, they flipped, they just flipped a switch. And all of a sudden it became, in my mind, they were choosing him over me. They switched sides and I felt very attacked. The whole family I felt like was against me. And, and I found myself wanting to then move towards them and explain, like, I remember spending a lot of time trying to correct their thinking, explain my choices. And it was exhausting. And so speaking of boundaries, before we get into a lot of the other ones with women who aren't divorced, I wanted to throw this one out there that having a boundary for yourself in the sense of you don't need to explain why you're doing what you're doing. You don't need to try and get them to come back over to your side. It's exhausting. 
And in my case, it's not going to get you anywhere from what I've seen and the experience I've had, it's not going to get you anywhere, but keep you stuck and keep you from doing what you need to do. One of the first boundaries that I'm going to suggest that I did for myself was I had to let go of trying to convince my in-laws of where I was and what I was thinking and why I was doing what I was doing. Mm. And, and I'm going to take that and say for our, those who are still married, you can have the exact same boundary because we do fall into these patterns of wanting people to understand and to see and to get it. And so we spend all this energy trying to make them see and get it. And when you're going through betrayal trauma, you only have so much energy that can be spread around. And so that really can be in a place that just sucks and drains your energy. So it's okay for you to be able to step back, pull back as much as you need and not explain yourself. I think the hardest part of that is surrendering how they think about you. Oh, I was just going to say, oh my gosh, especially if they blame you for the divorce, right? <gasps> Letting go of what they think and what they feel. I say this repetitively over and over all day long with clients is what they think and feel about you is not only nothing you can control, but I'm going to invite you to think about how it's none of your business. You don't need to make that your business because it's just going to affect your experience that you're having. And for crying out loud, you got a lot on your plate right now. You've got to figure a lot of stuff out. The last thing you need to be worrying about is what they're thinking and feeling about you way easier said than done. I get it, but I'm hoping that I give you a little bit of empowerment there to let it go and know that if they're blaming you for whatever, it doesn't make it true. They can think and feel whatever they want. It doesn't make it true. You hold on to your truth and you go forward, girl. And that is how you're going to show them <laughs> the truth <laughs> is that I'm going to take my truth and I'm going to keep playing forward. And at some point, hopefully you're going to see. <laughs> so I just have to put that out there. It is so much easier said than done. I get that, but just trust me here. <laughs> Let that go. Okay. So with that said, here are some things that Alana and I thought were, were, I guess the most common is when they blame you for his actions, if you didn't da da da, then he wouldn't have looked at porn or had an affair, whatever. Right. So let's talk to that one. Yeah. This one just makes me cringe. The things that I have heard. Well, are you having sex with him enough? Well, are you spending enough time with him? Well, if you didn't go to work, all of these things are putting his choices on your shoulders. And I wish you could see Amy right now. She's like cringing physically, even as I'm <laughs> these. But just really quick, you can have sex with him five times a day. That does not cure addictions. It does not. That does not work you changing and doing things. And I can't tell you the amount of women who have spent years and decades trying to do this. And so you understanding that your actions are not the cause of his addiction. This is where I like to use the three C's of addiction. This is really good for family members, loved ones of people who struggle with any type of addictions is you didn't cause it you can't cure it, and you can't control it. Those three things you do not have control over. So again, the three C's, you didn't cause it, 
you can't cure it, and you can't control it. When you come to accept these three truths, it takes off so much pressure and weight. It really is theirs to be able to do the work with. Your actions, by all means, impact him. That's a reality of being humans and interacting together. But what he chooses to do with that impact, no matter how great or how small, is completely on his shoulders. So when you have in-laws and family members who are putting that on you, that is a really um, healthy thing for you to do is to create a boundary. Here's the thing. Creating a boundary with this does not mean you get to control how they think and how they feel or what they say and do. It means that you get to protect yourself. So what things can you do to keep yourself safe from that type of exposure to the ways they think and feel about this? If they're coming to you and they're saying, if you didn't do this or this, the boundary may be, this is not a conversation I will engage in. And if you insist on having this conversation, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to stop talking. Or it could be a boundary of in your head, you just know my boundary is I'm not going to engage in this conversation and I'll leave. If they're blaming you for his actions and they're doing it, say to their friends or other people in their life, this is going to really suck, but you have no power and control over that. That's how they think and feel. And they have every right, even though you completely disagree with it. And really it's so hard and terrible to have them put that blame on you. But as a human beings, they get the right to think and feel how they want. So this is one of those truths that I don't want to say because I feel like it's painful to hear, but I am one who will speak the truth and say the hard things because I care about you and because I needed to hear truth when I was going through this. Let me just validate. Yes, it's hard. It's truth. But I will tell you from personal experience, and there's nothing that I have that all of you listening don't have. We all have this ability. We just need need to remember, but yes, this is so hard, but I promise you, just like I was saying before, when you let go of the things that you can't control of and you plow forward and you do you, and you start living your life, they will see. All you're doing is affecting your experience because your negative emotions around your in-laws, those feelings, whether it's anger or frustration, irritation, whatever that is, sadness, those are your emotions. So you can feel as pissed as you want. That feeling is just yours. So you're affecting your experience by being upset on what, about what they're doing it's not going to affect them. Their emotions are derived from their thoughts. And for whatever reason right now, they're thinking that they can go around and talk about you or whatever it is they're doing that you're not happy with. So focus on what is in your control and move forward with that. And I promise you, you will move through faster, healthier, and they will see it. Nothing speaks louder than when they can see, truly see you thriving. And that was the game changer for me. I know it might not happen with everybody, but for years, when I was the one to blame, when they started to see me thrive, 
and see him dive, that was like, oh, maybe she's onto something. <laughs> so just have to, again, give you this picture of what that could look like when you let it go. But I'm going to validate what Alana said. It's so freaking hard. So, okay. What about when they're talking bad about you in front of your children, having a moment, having a reaction, hard one, right? Well, yeah, because it's one thing when they just talk about your actions in general to other Mm -hmm. people, even your ex or your husband, but when they're talking to your kids, Ooh, does that hit on a spot? Daggers come. Yeah. And the thought that's going through my head is hurt people, hurt people. Hmm. So, and that can go either way. You being hurt, hurting, wanting them to hurt equally to your level of pain, or it can go to them being hurt and then spreading that hurtness out because they're hurting. When people are talking to your children about you and that feels like they could turn them against you, or they're just doing that with your kids, that, that hits really, really close to home for a lot of women that is really painful. And this is one that as women, we have to really be careful with that we're stepping back and processing through this one, making space for the pain for this. And we're not reacting because of all of the ones we talk about, I can see reactions from this one maybe having the greatest ripple effects of damage for you, for your kids, for relationships with your in-laws, just across the board. This is a hard one. Yeah. And I don't know how much more we can say because everything we've said, I think really applies to this too. It's what do you have control over at that point? And what do you not? And look, depending on your child's age, I'm a huge advocate for taking opportunities like this to allow our children to have a voice for themselves, right? If your child's old enough to have their own boundaries with grandma and grandpa, then encourage that you have an opportunity to teach them and show them what I see happen is in in myself included is we want to save our children from pain. And that's when we turn into mama bear, but pain is not bad. Negative emotion is not bad. And we can't solve for our children's negative emotion, allowing them to feel the ripple effects of what other people are choosing to say about them even, or to them about you. And then allowing them to have that opportunity to navigate their own feelings around that. It really is healthy. And it's not as dangerous to as our brain thinks it is, because to be honest, like whether my in-laws tell my kids I'm crazy or they come up with that themselves, they can think whatever they want. Like, yes, mom's crazy. They're going to think what they're going to think. I can't control what my kids think about me, whether it's what they're being told or not, or they come up with them themselves. And this is a hard truth, but okay. Hard, hard, hard. And and I want to take this and say all of what you said, Amy, and this, you really should take on an individual case by case basis. And I would recommend maybe even getting somebody who's not emotionally involved to help you sort through it, because depending on your child's age and what they're saying and how it is affecting your mental health, absolutely some boundaries around, okay, 
to in-laws, if you're going to continue to emotionally pull my children into this, then we are going to not be bringing the kids over there. That absolutely is a boundary that you can have or just pulling back on the amount of interactions and exposures your children have to them are healthy boundaries. And so I don't want to say that you just have to throw your hands in the air and say, okay, whatever, there's nothing I can do. But if you have, I'm just thinking of a couple of my kids when they're younger and they go to grandma and grandpa's, and I'm not saying my in-laws do this, but they go to grandma and grandpa's and grandma and grandpa are asking them questions and they come home emotionally spinning and they're emotionally in chaos because they've been in this type of environment. Well, then no, I'm not going to put my kids in that type of environment. And so there are times absolutely where you need to have boundaries to protect your kids' emotional well-being. And so that I again I highly encourage taking it on a case-by-case basis and having a professional who is not emotionally involved help you sort through what level of boundaries do you need? Is it boundaries with yourself and your own thinking? Is it boundaries with how much exposure they have to them? And that will vary in every situation, but absolutely distance and space is one of the easiest ways to implement a boundary to protect ourselves and your children are in your care of you protecting them. We don't want to protect them to the point that they have no experiences in this life, but we also don't want to be putting them into situations where they are being harmed physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, et cetera. Here's where my brain's going right now, because I see this a lot, that a lot of women, because they are in a heightened state of trauma, everything looks dangerous. So how do you know what is really dangerous? Because here's what I found myself doing is because of where I was at emotionally, and it was very heightened. Everything was dangerous that they were saying. And if you asked a third party person, they'd be like, yeah, no, that's not dangerous. But to me, it was. And I put that onto my children, right? So what I thought was dangerous really wasn't. And now we're pulling our children away from their grandparents because we think something's dangerous, but it really isn't. So how do you assess that situation? Because I see that happen a lot where the, the scenarios that I'm being told and we're working through, it really is the mother's thoughts about how she is the, she's looking at the situation through her trauma lenses. And it's almost like we're making our kids put on the trauma lenses too. And I had to be very careful not to hand my kids my trauma lens because I don't want them to see their grandparents as dangerous. And so this is a really, gosh, whole other episode, right. And of itself that I'm finding myself (laughs) moving into here, but honestly, I had to be very careful not to give them those same lenses. So this is tricky, right? The, The analogy that comes to mind is when you're at a school and you're little and they teach you the fire drill, like the fire alarm goes off, you get outside. And then the whole reason we do this is so if there is in real life a fire, the alarm bell goes off, you get out of the building and then you assess, okay, am I safe? Was there really a fire? Was that a false alarm? If it's safe, you go back in. If it's not safe, well, now you're already in a safe spot. You can 
stay there until safety has been established. And so when you're going through the trauma and all of a sudden, all these things that once felt safe now look very unsafe, it's okay for you to pull back and assess for safety and regain that sense of safety before re-engaging. And so while you still have to navigate and be careful that you're not putting your trauma onto your kids, it is okay to pull back while you're assessing and figuring that out. This is again, why individual work is so important and why this healing work is so important because you step back, you may pull back and yes, kids may not see grandma and grandpa during a season, hopefully it's shorter season if grandma and grandpa are healthy enough to be seeing them, but it's okay for women to be able to take some time to assess that safety for themselves. Okay. hundred percent. I love that. We could just process that. You're that makes absolute sense. That makes total sense there. So I like that. I like that. Well, yeah. And what you're saying is still accurate, right? Is that women still have to do the work to then figure out, okay, what is my trauma brain? What is actually happening in the present moment? What's from the past that's coming up today. That's not actually happening today versus the fire alarm's going off because there's real fires happening today and I need to have safety. And what's coming to my mind right now is I had the right to be wrong and I had the right to change my mind and change course. So absolutely right now, the fire alarm's going off. You're going to act based off of that. And if you're wrong, if you're like, okay, now that I can see reality and I love that word that you just said there. So if I could video record what just happened over at their house, what is reality? What am I making that mean? And if you decide that it isn't dangerous, then you have the right to change your mind. So that makes so much sense. Everyone just saw us process in real time. <laughs> in real time. Yeah. I love that. Okay. All right. We spent probably more time on that kid thing, but to our point, this it's a hot topic. Absolutely. Such a hot topic. So we still have a lot more boundaries to get through. So stay tuned with us for next week, part two, where we're going to go even more into boundaries with in-laws and extended family members. So thank you today for joining us. Thank you for being part of the conversation. And if you find this helpful, please do share it with other people, like, leave comments. We love when you send us questions and things you want us to address in future episodes. That's really helpful. We love giving you material that can be beneficial to you. So hopefully today's conversation was helpful and we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you for joining us today and tune in next week again for part two of our topic on in-law trauma. We encourage you to do the work this week with some of the invitations that we offered during this episode. We know that when you do the work, you are choosing recovery, you're choosing to heal, and you are choosing you. Take care, everybody.